right, so hey, as I, as I look around the room, I see so many people uh, that are investing in our church, that are serving uh, in so many different ways, from kids' men to behind the scenes to coffee, whatever it is, to make this Sunday happen. And there are some people in the room tonight that I want to take a moment and honor because not only do they serve here on Sunday, uh, but they serve uh, over and above uh, in other ways as well. And uh, if you didn't know, uh, our heart here at Antioch Salt Lake City is to be a multi-generational and multi-ethnic church. Right now, our largest demographic in our church is the young adult demographic. So, so there's some of you here. There was very little response last service. So by and large, the largest demographic of our church, young adults, young professionals. And uh, about a year and a half ago, we asked a couple if they would be willing to serve as the leaders of that ministry, to direct it, to lead uh, the life group leaders, to give direction and pastoral care and guidance and move it towards a vision. And they said yes. On top of having full-time jobs um, and having low margins, they said yes. And for the last year and a half, Brandon and Erica Hibbert have been leading our young adult uh, group. If you want to come up, let's honor Brandon and Erica's service the last year and a half. You stand up. You stand up. I tried. I tried to get more people to stand, but we'll work on that. I even stood, went down there and stood. Yeah, maybe next service. Okay. Uh, hey, so I just want to just want to take a moment and publicly thank. Brandon and Erica, in the midst of having full-time jobs and a busy life for the last year and a half, they have laid their life down, mostly behind the scenes, to uh, pastor the young adult ministry, to lead it, to move it forward. And we, as, as we were praying through in this season of our church and in their life, um, uh, Kate and I and them, we felt like this was the time for them to transition out of that role. And we wanted to take a moment and thank you and honor you for your service to the young adult ministry. If you're here and you're a young adult, you wouldn't have the ministry you have if it wasn't for these guys this last year and a half. And along that same note, as we prayed through the transition and realized this was the right time, we started praying for who could step in and take this ministry to the next level, who has the giftings of pastoral giftings and leadership and communication and strategy. And so there happened to be another couple in our church doing a lot behind the scenes already to serve, and we just asked them to do it some more. Would you please honor Scott and Alyssa Steinhaus? squeeze in here. Okay. <laughs> Are we off center? We're off center. Come this way. This feels better. Okay. Yeah, important detail. I want to honor Scott and Alyssa and their yes. Like I said, Scott and Alyssa have been serving behind the scenes already. Uh, they really, in large part, help make Sundays possible. A lot of the stuff behind the scenes, uh, and uh, I could go on and on about what they already do. Um, but I want to just honor their yes. We asked them to pray about um, not just managing the young adult world, the ministry, but moving it forward and taking it to the next step and uh, stepping into ministry as a volunteer on top of having jobs 
and they said yes, and we are honored and blessed to have them stepping into this leadership position. So what I'd love to do is I'm going to take a second here and pray for these guys. If you know either one of these couples, come on up. We're going to pray for them. You can lay hands on them. Don't be shy. Kate, Brittany, come on. Other people, there you go. There are people in the back. There you go. Wow. Okay. Let me see back. Hey, if you're not coming up here, that's great. Pray with me as I just pray to bless this next season uh, for both of these couples' lives. Okay, I'm going to start with the Hibberds. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing in this church and in, the, in this uh, ministry specifically. Lord, I thank you for Brandon and Erica and their yes. I pray you would bless this next season. I pray more connection with each other and with you than ever before. I bless them to thrive as they step into the next thing that you're calling them to. Lord, I thank you that they will forever have an inheritance in this church and in this ministry because they said yes to laying their life down for you and for people. So we pray a blessing over the Hibbards in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we do pray for the Steinhouses right now. We thank you once again for their heart to serve and to do whatever it takes to see your kingdom come. Father, I pray a blessing as they step into a new role, as they step further into ministry and leadership. I pray a blessing over their relationship with you. Lord, I pray more intimacy with you, that they would hear your voice clearer than ever before, that the, the steps that they take, the strategy they have would be your strategy, your ideas, your vision, your goal for where you're taking the young adult ministry. It wouldn't be on their own. I pray any heaviness or burden would be lifted in the name of Jesus, that they would just walk with you in friendship with you as they lead and God and pastor people to know you and to love you. We thank you and we bless the Steinhouses in the name of Jesus. Amen. Give it up for the Hibbards and the Steinhouses. All right. So I, I, I already, already tell, I'm going to put this over here. There we go. Oh, bummer. Okay. All right. So, hey, uh, let's, uh, I don't always do this, but I just feel like I need to do it this time, this service. Feel free to interact with me. If you're, is anyone tired tonight? Yeah, there's the interaction. I know. Is anyone hungry? All right. All right. See, that, that level of response, we're about, we're about to talk about Jesus. <laughs> So feel free to respond, to say yes, to do whatever you need to do, to stay engaged, and to let me know that I'm not talking to a bunch of people that are asleep, okay? You with me? Can you do that? Can we engage with each other? That was good. I don't know who did that. over. Is that you, Chris? All right. Way to lead it out, bro. Okay. Hey, so tonight is part three of our relationship series. We're going to do the classic recap here for just a second of where we've been the last uh, two weeks, and then we're going to talk about where we're going. But the last two weeks, it wasn't probably the relationship series that you were anticipating. Because the last two weeks, we have focused on internal revelations that you and I need to have that would affect our external realities. We talked about the first week. We have to have an internal revelation of our identity, our God-given identity. We talked about relationships aren't meant to, to, to carry the weight of naming each other. That we've got to know who God says we are. We've got to walk out in it. We've got to have that internal revelation that then would affect our external reality. Last week, we talked about the internal revelation that we all need to have, that yes, we have emotional needs, and that's okay, and it's God-given, and it's God-purposed, but you and I were never meant to fully satisfy each other's emotional needs. That it is the design of God that we would have needs that can only be met fully in God. 
And we've got to have that revelation that our relationships wouldn't strain under the weight of undue and unright and unrighteous expectation that you and I can fully satisfy each other. Because our relationships will never, you know, make it under that weight. Tonight, I want to talk about a little, uh, we're going to get a little more practical. We're going to talk about how we respond to situations. Because so much of life lies in our responding. Amen? All right, that's good. Okay, see, I'll coach you. I'll bring you along with me for the journey, because this is good. How many of you all know that it is Palm Sunday? All right, all right. Palm Sunday. Today, around the world, literally millions of Christians, of believers, have gathered in nations all around the world to celebrate Palm Sunday. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause for a second and talk about what is Palm Sunday, what does it represent, and how does it tie in to how we respond. If you have your Bible, don't put it up on the screen yet, screen, screen, screen yet uh, but we're going to be in Matthew 21. So you can turn there. I'm going to give a little backstory first. For most of you, if you turn your Bible or you flip in your app to Matthew 21, the heading of that chapter will say something along the lines of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem or Jesus uh, shows, uh, returns to Jerusalem as king, something along those lines. We're talking about Jesus returning to Jerusalem as king, showing up, okay? So here's the backstory. The people of God, the, the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, had been longing for their king, for a savior. But not in the same way that you and I would think they'd be longing for it, standing on this side of the cross. They were longing for Someone to come in, a king, much in the line of David, to come in and be a warrior and to overthrow their oppressors. At this time in history, the Jewish people were occupied by Rome. And so the cry of their heart, they were believing for a savior, a king, a leader to come and overthrow the Roman oppression and restore the people of God to glory, to restore the nation of Israel to, to prominence. That was their expectation. That's what they were longing for. And here's what was happening. They were hearing these rumors of a, a prophet, a teacher named Jesus going throughout the countryside, doing things they had never seen before, saying things they had never heard before. And these rumors were starting to build that there was this guy named Jesus, and he wasn't a normal teacher. He wasn't another prophet. There was something different about him. He was healing people. He was casting out demons. He was, doing, he was saying things and doing things they had never seen before. And the expectation began to rise. Is this our king? Surely, if he's doing all of these incredible signs, if he's, if he's fulfilling all these old prophecies, surely this is our guy. This is our king. And a crowd gathers at the gate of Jerusalem waiting because they've heard these rumors that this Jesus is coming. And that's where we enter into the story. Jesus is actually with his 12 disciples and he's heading towards Jerusalem and he, he stops when he gets within sight of the city and he turns to his disciples and he says, go to a, to a, to a nearby village and get a couple donkeys and bring them back to me. And so they go and they find the donkeys, they bring them back, and he rides in down the path towards the gate of Jerusalem on a donkey. Matthew 21, verse 6. 
The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. It's the preamble of the story of Easter. Over the next week, different days will mark different occurrences in the life of Jesus leading us to next Friday and more importantly next Sunday. The death and the resurrection of Jesus is what we're going to celebrate next week. But let's take a second and look at what's happening in this moment. If we we zoom out a little bit here, you've got a crowd of people that have gathered at the gate to meet their king. To meet the one that they are expecting to show up providing signs and wonders that clearly this is of God for the people of God to overthrow Rome and to establish the kingdom. Now, how would, how would uh, war-ready uh, kings show up in this day and age? What would they be riding? A horse. Actually, donkey literally would, would, is what they rode in peacetime. So Jesus literally shows up riding the opposite of what they are wanting and what they're expecting. And he doesn't show up with an army. He doesn't show up with even a small display of power. It's Jesus on a donkey with 12 dudes walking behind him. And this is what they are met with at the gate. And here's what I want to talk about for a second. What's happening to this crowd is what's happening to you and I on a daily basis for a lot of us. Our expectation does not line up with reality. We are met with a gap between what we thought God would do and what he's doing. We're met with a gap We thought he said this. We thought he promised this, and it's not happening. We thought he would do it this way, show up this. We're waiting for God to say something, and he's not saying it. We're waiting for God to heal us or heal a friend, and it's not happening. And there lies the gap between our unmet expectations and our reality. What do we do in the gap? Here I want to submit to you as kingdom people, this is how we are to respond. This crowd of people was living in the gap. Now to us, it's just a story. But to them, this is everything. They're gathered, their life, they have altered their life to show up at this gate to meet their coming king, to celebrate the inauguration of a new day and a new age for them and their families and their future. And they're sitting watching Jesus ride up on a donkey. And they are living in the gap of unmet expectations. Here's what I want to submit. As kingdom people, how we're called to respond when there's that gap. The first is, they stayed. How easy would it have been to look at the oncoming crowd of Jesus on a donkey with 12 disciples and say, that's not it. That's not him. Surely that's not the Jesus that we've, that we've been promised. Surely that's not the guy we've been waiting for. That's not what we thought he'd look like. This, he's not on a horse. He doesn't have an army. He doesn't look powerful. That's not him. We're out of here. We got it wrong. All the rumors were untrue. He's not, he doesn't look like what we thought he'd look like. We're out. 
But they stayed. And what did they do? In the midst of their living in this gap of unmet expectations, they laid their clothes down. They cut branches down, put them on the road. What are they doing? They're worshiping and they're honoring Jesus. You see, you know, they, put, they put all that stuff on the ground as a way to try and honor Jesus. That dust wouldn't be kicked up and land all over him and his things and his people. It was the, the greatest way they could show a display of honor was to try and keep the dust down, to keep the mud down, to keep the dirt down. This crowd of people, when met with the gap of unmet expectations, they stayed and they worshipped. For us, Maybe we need to stay and worship in our gap of unmet expectation in our relationship with God. But how does this affect our relationship with people? See, we have, we have these unmet expectation gaps in our relationships all the time. Now, so let's go macro, big picture. Maybe you're in the room and your marriage didn't, doesn't look like what you thought it would. You're in the, you're in the gap. Maybe you've got a boyfriend or girlfriend, and it's, just, it's not turning out the way you thought it would. It doesn't look like it's going the way you thought it would. You're in the gap of unmet expectations. You've got friends. You moved your life to Utah. You go to college. You've got roommates. You joined a sorority. You joined a fraternity. But it just doesn't look like what you thought it was going to look like. You haven't found that best friend. You've got a lot of people that know you, but you don't have that person. You haven't found it, and you're living in the gap of unmet expectations. Now, let's go real micro level. Let's go small. Here's the best illustration I can give. Um, my wife's not here right now, but I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some of the, the, the biggest way that may, uh, Kate and I have unmet expectations in our marriage on a regular basis, and it all comes down to what are we eating for dinner? Okay. One of the biggest places of unmet expectation between Kate and I. Now, we've been married for going on seven years. I've learned over seven years a lot of the, the nuances of my wife, but I, it took me a long time to learn this lesson. Because here's how it often goes. It's date night, and it's my turn to pick where we go to eat. And we get in the car, and I say, what you want, babe? I'm, I'm good. I'll eat whatever you want. Just what do you want? I'm good. Whatever you want. This is your date night. This is your night. You're planning it. It's all you. I'll eat whatever. I'm I'm chill. Where do I go? I go to Chili's. I have no shame. I have no shame in how much I enjoy a burger from Chili's. I don't, I don't think it's anything to be scoffed at. Chili's is legit. Okay, yeah. This got everyone talking over here. Everyone's, oh my gosh. Yes. I know, and I've taken her there. I've taken her to Subway, too. She doesn't appreciate that. Okay. Okay, I haven't taken Kate on a date to Subway. Let's just make that clear. Okay, so we pull into Chili's, and I'm like, cool. Like, you said you're good at anything. I'm like, I just, like how I operate as a guy, I was driving. I saw Chili's. That's where we're going. It's food. It's good. I'll eat it. And so I, I pull in. I park. I take the keys out. I look over to her, and you would think our relationship was about to end. Why, why are you so literally anywhere but Chili's? You could have gone anywhere but Chili's, and I would have been happy. I didn't, you told me you'd eat anything. Unmet expectation. She expected me to know she's not going to eat Chili's. 
You laugh, but this is a real deal. That, that, that night was conflict, and it was very real. I can't read your mind. You should know. You should tell me. You should know. What do we do now? I'm not even hungry anymore. And it, Okay, here's another way, in the way it, ha- it happened actually recently this past week. I, I texted her. I was out, and I was like, hey, I'll pick up dinner for us on the way home. You just let me know what you want. Just text. Uh, how about this? You know, neither one of us love making decisions. We're both like people pleasers, so it's like, whatever you want, babe. No, whatever you want. No, whatever you want. Nah. And so I was like, hey, you know what? I'll get us out of this cycle of depravity, and I will say I will make the choice, but you give me options. That's our compromise. She's like, okay. So she texts me three places. Boom, 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 boom. I'm like, great. This is working out perfectly. I make my selection. I know what she eats from this location. I pick it up. I bring it home. I put it out on the counter. I get the silverware out. What do you want to drink? She walks in the room from putting the kids down to bed, and you would thought our relationship was ending. She was not happy. Why did you get this? This was literally one of the options you texted me. Yeah, but it wasn't the first one. I have now learned. I have now learned that there are three options, but there's really only one. That when, when my wife texts me three places she's willing to eat from, the first one is what she wants. The other two are just to make me feel like I have a choice. Unmet expectations. You know what happened that night? Conflict. You texted me three options. Yeah, but you should know I wouldn't eat that one. But you literally, you texted me this option. Yeah, but what was the first option? I don't know what the first option was. It was bad. It was unmet expectations. And it's comical, right? But all of us have unmet expectations. I, meant, I joked about this last week. You're, you send a text, you expect it to be returned right away. And you respect the proper grammar. You want a yes with an exclamation point. And if it has nothing, that's not okay. That text did not meet your expectations. You've got a friend or a roommate. You've got expectations that you're going to hang out together this weekend, all weekend. They don't know that. So they hang out with you on Friday, and then they go do stuff on Saturday. And you're left wondering, how could they leave me alone on a Saturday? People are laughing. It happens. We have unmet expectations in our relationships all over the place. And here's the question. What do we put in the gap? Because in that gap, that's the gap that lies vain imagination. That's the gap that lies judgment and disappointment and discouragement. If you don't do anything about that gap, when that person doesn't text you back for a couple hours, you're thinking about all the reasons why they wouldn't text you back. They're mad at me. They want me to know that they're mad at me. They don't have time for me. They're texting their other friends. I'm not one of their closest friends. And vain imagination, and suddenly you're off spiraling, and your relationships are in a really weird place because you don't know how to handle the gap of unmet expectations. So let's talk about, as kingdom people, what are we called to put in that gap that we might see freedom, that we might see wholeness, that we might, our relationships might point each other more towards Jesus and less towards the gap of vain imagination. You with me? I know you're with me if I talk about food. But let's go, guys. Come on. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. 
So what does this say to us and about us relationally? This says that we have an invitation. We have a choice of how we see people. Can I just say, you have a choice when someone hurts you, how you view them. The hurt is real. The offense might be real. The pain might be real. But this says we have a choice. Are we going to see them through the lens of the flesh or are we going to operate in the spirit? Here's what it means to operate in in the realm and the lens of the flesh. When someone hurts you, when someone offends you, when there's pain, when you operate out of the flesh, you identify that person from their sinful nature. And you say, that's just who they are. And they probably meant to do it. And they probably don't care that I'm hurting because they're just prideful and they're just selfish and they're just mean and they're just angry and they're just jealous. And you just start making all of these. You're looking at the wound and you're looking at the person who wounded you through the eyes of the flesh and you are choosing to identify that person from their sinful nature. Another way to put it, when we, when we choose to look through that lens, we are choosing to say the work of the cross is not alive and active in that person's life. They are, sinf- they, they are messed up, broken, angry, mean, hurtful people that are doing this on purpose. They do, they don't, the, the work of Jesus isn't alive and active in them. But when we switch our lens and we see people through the lens of the Spirit and we live from the shadow of the cross and we see people how God sees them, another way to put it, we start believing the best in each other. And suddenly when that wound comes, can I just tell you, I think a lot of our relational hard things and tension and brokenness could be alleviated if we could get really good at saying to ourselves and to others, you know what? They probably didn't mean it. You know what? They probably didn't mean to do that. That's called looking through the Spirit. That's called saying, you know what? Yeah, they might have responded poorly. They might have hurt me. Uh, they might have sent a text that I, I read and I got hurt. Or they might have. I don't know all the ways we're getting hurt nowadays. But I do know that we have a choice. And we can look at that and say, you know what? They probably didn't mean it that way. And we can, we can just grow up a little. We can mature a little bit in the Lord. And we can say, I'm not going to sit here and, and be hurt and wounded and go talk to all my friends about how that person hurt me and wounded me. I'm going to say, you know what? That probably, they probably didn't mean it that way. Maybe I need to go talk to them. I mean, you go, hey, you probably didn't mean to say this. Or you probably didn't mean it to come this way. But when you said that to me, like, it it really felt like you were attacking this part of me. And, and, and I just wanted you to know, I, can we talk about that? Because like, I don't think that's what you were saying. Now, if they say, yeah, that's what I was saying, probably a relationship you need to move on from. But I think so much of our hurt and our pain is because we choose to get wounded and look at people through the lens of sin instead of believe the best in one another and look at each other through the lens of the cross. All right? That's not who we are. We are not people who choose to believe the worst in people. That's just not who we are in the kingdom. All right. We're going to camp out here for a few minutes. Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, sometimes Scripture is just about as clear as we could ask for it to be. Bear with each other. Bear with each other. That is an invitation to patience. That we would look at each other and realize 
hey, we got to be patient with one another. We can't let every little thing just spiral us. We've got to be patient, and we've got to realize we are all on journeys of sanctification. We'll never be perfect this side of heaven, but we're pressing into Jesus. We're growing. We're maturing. And if you don't have patience for each other, then you aren't willing to extend the grace that God's extending you in this moment. We've got to be people that are willing to admit and be okay with, you know what? We're, I'm going to be a little patient here. I'm not going to just, every time someone says something that doesn't, I don't like, I'm not just going to run to, to brokenness and run to Instagram and run to Twitter and run to all this. And I'm just going to say, you know what? That's okay. I, I'm, I'm mature enough. I can handle it. Let's be bearing with one another in patience and in love. Now, forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance, forgiveness is not an invitation. It's a call. We are called to forgive. It won't always be easy. It won't always be fun. But it doesn't really seem optional. If we're going to live in light of the cross, if we're going to live in the revelation that you and I have been forgiven so much that while we were still dead, he died for us. If we're going to live in the reality of the grace and the mercy that we've been extended, then there's really no other option. We've got to get really good at extending that same grace and mercy to each other. So let's look. It says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So two ways that we can model to each other the forgiveness that Jesus modeled to us. These are big. First one, Jesus forgave you and I before you and I apologized. Okay. If you are waiting, if you are withholding forgiveness until someone comes and says that they're sorry, you're not forgiving the way Jesus forgave. Okay? Did you know that you can forgive someone without ever hearing the words, I'm sorry? You can forgive and release someone without ever talking to them. Now, of course, that's not the goal. That's not the heart. God's a God of reconciliation. Our heart is that we would be reconciled, that whatever pain is there between us, that through believing the best in one another and humbling ourselves and forgiving and moving towards reconciliation, that we could be restored. But you know what? If you're in the room tonight and someone has hurt you so bad and your relationship has ended with that person and you have been waiting for them to come and say, you know what? Here's all the ways I hurt you and I recognize that I hurt you and I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? If you're waiting for that day, if that day never comes, and your freedom is attached to that day, you'll never be free. But freedom is available today because we can go to God and we can say, you know what? You forgave me. You forgave that person for hurting me. I choose in my heart before you, God, to forgive that person. And I choose to go to you with my pain and you with my anger and you with my frustration. You're the only one that can handle it. You're the only one that can take it. The cross is big enough. So we can go to God and release, and I, like you might sound like this, this isn't real, but it is. Like you can actually walk away free and like never need that person to come to you and say they're sorry. Now it might, if they do, that'd be, that'd be great. It'd feel, feel nice, but you don't need it because you've got freedom. Amen? He doesn't, he didn't wait for our apology. The other thing he did is he did not demand repayment. If you have strings attached to your forgiveness, 
and you are extending it to someone, but there are, there are things that they have to do to earn it. They've got to repay you for the pain that they've caused. They've got to walk on eggshells because you'll always remember. And you'll always hold it over them. And you'll always be right there ready to say, you know what, I knew you'd do that again. If that's where forg- what forgiveness looks like to you, it's not the forgiveness that Jesus modeled. He, doesn't, he didn't demand our repayment. And if we're withholding forgiveness until we get repaid, we're, gonna, we're in for a long, hard road. Because people, people are weird. People are hard. I don't know if you've caught that. And you might be right. You might be right that you deserve an apology. You might be right that it was bad what they did to you or said to you or said about you. But you don't have a right to be right in the kingdom. It's about Jesus. It's about His glory. It's about, and He's about your freedom. We've got to give up our right to be right about needing an apology and just own the fact that we can get free today between us and God. All right. Y'all still with me? I can talk about food if you want. All right. Oh, this is good. Okay, here we go. I have a minute to do this. Okay. If we choose not to live a life of forgiveness... What we are choosing is a life of offense. And can I say that in the kingdom, as kingdom people, having been extended grace and mercy through the cross, we don't have a right to live in offense. What does that mean? Living in offense is when you get offended, you get hurt by someone, and you choose to create distance in the relationship, to push that person away, to hold on, to not forgive and forget, but just to hold on to it. And I remember, and I hold a list of wrongs against you. I remember what you said and what you texted my friends about me, and I'm going to hold it against you. I'm not forgiving you. I'm not forgetting about it. I'm living in offense. Can I just... Guys, we live in the most offendable age of man in history. People are actively seeking out ways to be offended so they can be justified in their response. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom does not operate in offense because what you're saying when you do that, when you you are actively okay with living an offended life and and basically having a list of wrongs of people, a list of people and all the wrongs they've committed against you, you are okay with saying the cross isn't enough for this list. They hurt me so bad, I'm not willing to forgive. And actually, I kind of enjoy the fact that they know that I'm not forgiving them. Living in offense is at its core manipulation and pride. It's not the kingdom. And I'm telling you, you're, if you're in the room and that's you, there's no shame, but there's freedom. If you've been carrying around a list of all the people that have hurt you and all the things they've done and all the things they've said, and you've vowed to yourself, I'll never forget what they did. You are just tying an anchor around yourself. You're never going to be able to move forward. We've got to, we've got to be a people, and this isn't my preference. <laughs> this is a kingdom with the heart and grace that God's extended to us. We got to say no to living in offense, or it'll rob us of everything else. All right. Lastly, so what do we fill in the gap of unmet expectations? We choose to believe the best in one another. We choose to see and operate in the spirit, not in the flesh. We choose to live lives of forgiveness the way Christ forgave us. 
We choose to not live offended. And lastly, and really simply, we always choose humility. Matthew 7, there's a story in there that Jesus tells about a guy with a, with, he says he has a log in his eye. And he's out there and he's trying to point out everyone else's problems. Hey, let me help you. You've got, I don't know if you knew this, but you've got a speck in your eye. You've got an issue. You're, you hurt me. You hurt him. You, you, you're, not, you're not great. You're not perfect. All the while, we've got a log in our own eye. We have to be humble enough to acknowledge that some of the relational turmoil in our life is because we've got stuff going on in here that we need to get worked out. We've got to recognize that, yeah, that person might have hurt you, but the way of the kingdom is not to say, yeah, they hurt me, and it's all their fault. And nothing I did in response to that matters. Nothing I did after that matters. The reality is they hurt me. They made that choice. That's on them. The way of the kingdom is to say, what do I need to, what do I need, what inventory do I need to take? What part did I play? That person might have hurt me. How did I respond? Could I respond better? Do I need to believe the best in them a little bit better? Did I forgive them? Am I holding onto a fence? Am I telling everyone else about what they did? Yeah, that person might have rightly hurt you, but we've all, we, we, there's, a, there's, a, there's a response for us in there. And there's a freedom for us if we're willing to admit it's not everyone else's fault. Now, hear, hear me say this. I don't want anyone to walk out of this room and say that the pastor said that you need to stay in an abusive relationship. That no matter, that, that the abuse that you are, are, being, uh, are, are being victimized by, the, the emotional, the physical, the sexual, whatever it is, I am not telling you to stay in that place and to figure out what you're doing to cause it. It's not your fault. You've got to get out. You've got to get help. You've got to go to God. You've got to go to wise counsel. You've got to go to professionals. You've got to, there are right times and healthy times to remove yourself from a relationship. So don't ever walk out of here and think that I'm telling you it does not matter what that guy is doing to you. You've got to figure out what your role in is, it, is in it. That's not what I'm saying. Y'all with me? I'm talking about the, 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 the everyday stuff between you and me. The times that you and I get offended by each other. The times that you and I hurt each other. How do we respond to that? We've got to take ownership of our own stuff. The question at hand, the question that 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 crowd answered for us at the gate of Jerusalem, how do you and I respond in the gap of unmet expectations? Tonight was all about our relationships with each other and how we need to be people who believe the best who forgive, and who walk in humility, who take inventory of our own junk, and who don't live in offense. There's a, story, there's a bigger story going on. For a lot of us, we're going to walk out of the room, and, 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 and what we're going to go to bed tonight thinking about is that, that gap of unmet expectations in our relationship with God. The places that we want Him to show up, but He hasn't. All the questions we have about why He's not doing things the way we thought He would, or the, we think He should, or the way we would do it. There's a bigger story going on. Praise God we don't serve a God who does what we think he should. Praise God he's, he's, his, his ways are higher. His ways are better. And as we move from Palm Sunday, as we go throughout this holy week leading up to the betrayal 
and the execution and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, may we be reminded that he doesn't operate the way we think he should. And that's okay. But there's an invitation that if we will stand in that gap, if we will stay and not run, if we won't get discouraged because he hasn't shown up yet, because our timeline hasn't matched his, if we will stay and we'll keep showing up and we'll keep worshiping him for who he is and not get discouraged because we haven't gotten healed yet, we haven't gotten set free yet, or you haven't got an answer to that question yet, if we'll stay and we'll worship. You know what the, the story says? I don't know if we caught it in there. Jesus enters the city, and there's a lot of people in that city that don't, didn't know who he was. There's a lot of people that weren't at that gate waiting for him, that wanted to know who this guy was. And you know who answered the question? It was the people who stayed. It wasn't Jesus. He didn't answer the question. He didn't tell the people in that city who he was. It was the people that were willing to stay and worship and press in even when he didn't meet their expectations. They got to be the ones to tell that city who Jesus was. We can be that church. If you're in the room tonight and you don't know Jesus, let me tell you about him. He's really good. He's really good. He loves you and he's for you. And he might not operate on our timelines, and he might not operate the way we think he should. We might not, he might not operate the way that, that your parents said he does, or your friends, or, or the church, or the pastor, or whatever. He might not operate the, in the box that you have always thought he would, but he's good. And the Bible says that while you and I were still dead in sin, he was executed on a cross that we might have freedom, that we might experience life. Not only did he die on that cross, not only did he take the penalty and the shame and the weight of our brokenness and our sin and the fact that we'll never be enough and we'll never be good enough or smart enough or cool enough or pretty enough, we'll never be enough. And he took all of that weight on himself and he died and not only did he, he, he defeat the power of sin, he defeated the penalty. The, the death that you and I were supposed to experience, he did. When we sung, song, we, uh, sung that song earlier about our God robbed the grave, he didn't do that to make a cool exclamation point to his story. He did that to represent to you and me that death has no hold on us anymore, that our brokenness doesn't have a hold anymore. And the Bible says that all we have to do is call on his name, is believe. It's, a, it's called a free gift. And we gather here on Sundays at Antioch Holy City to celebrate Jesus and to celebrate the free gift, that we don't have to get pretty enough. We don't have to apologize first. We don't have to earn it. We can't earn it. It's a free gift. And the Bible says to, to receive that gift, we've got to believe in our heart, and we've got to believe it so much we'll actually say it with our mouth. Why does everybody bow their heads with me? If you're in the room tonight and you don't know Jesus, this isn't a, this isn't a pressure deal. <laughs> this is between you and God. The invitation for you to experience the freedom and the grace and the mercy that he offers Jesus, if you read the Gospels, he was after people's hearts. He wasn't after your cleaning yourself up, dressing right, doing right. He wanted your heart. So I'm going to pray. And if you're in the room and you want to pray with me, you can, you can pray the same words I pray. You can recite after me, or you can make them their own, your own words, whatever it means. It's, he's after your heart. And then we're going to worship a little. Jesus, thank you for who you are. I need you. I can't do this on my own. I've tried to be 
my own ruler. I, I, I've tried to be my own savior, and, and it doesn't work. I'm tired. I'm tired of not knowing how to, how to do this. I'm, not tired of, I'm tired of the disappointment. I constantly feel, I need you. I need you. Jesus, would you come be Lord of my life? I believe you are who you say you are, that you did what you said you did for me, that I might experience freedom and abundant life now and eternal life forever. I choose you, Jesus, come be Lord of my life. Amen.